0: This is Tips from the Top Floor episode 909 for mid-July 2022. Tips from the top. From the top floor. Tips from the top. Alright. From the top floor. Hey and welcome. It is Chris. It is Tips from the Top Floor Time, episode 909, with the following topics: I'm a generator, relearning skills, semantic segmentation, and a cover of a women's magazine. So let's get right into that first topic i'm a generator um um, i have access to dolly too. yes beta access to the um to the currently most well-known famous image generator and um i'm pretty sure you know what i'm talking about um it is it is daunting And it's amazing, (laughs) it's scary, and it is everything at the same time. So, yeah, I finally got access to the beta. I didn't have any special access in any way. I just got my name on the waiting list early enough, and now I'm uh, one of the beta testers. They give you, as a beta tester, they give you 50 generations a day. Yeah, they have redefined the term generations as in uh, generating pictures. So, yeah, 50 a day, which sounds a lot, but is... It's a very iterative process. You you really you, you, you put a prompt in, you get something back. It is, um, let's say, not necessarily exactly what you want. It, it, every time it spits out six uh, suggestions and then you can go from there and get variations on one or redo it, change the prompt because it is it is a skill that needs to be learned i said this before you have to relearn a few things and that is one of them the the whole prompt building it's a very different approach that you would have um, from photography of course depends on how your uh, brain is structured mine is mine is structured in a more visual sense so i'm uh, when i when i do photography i let myself be inspired by the surroundings by what's there and uh, that ends up um, being different when you have a, have a blank sheet of paper in front of you, so to speak, and and I have to put in a prompt um, to generate something. But I'm getting there. It's it's a learning process, and those 50 generations a day is like, yeah, okay, gotta wait again. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm using them up. I'm uh, I'm 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 practicing, and uh, it is it is building new neural pathways in my brain. And it's good because it's a learning experience, it's a skill-building experience, and I'm making progress. Uh, I found out that doing weird things is cool. Um, Doing things, getting the exact result you want out of it is difficult or impossible because the same prompt will never yield the same exact thing. So you have to be very descriptive, but you can't be too over-descriptive because there's a parser that parses your input prompt and if the parser runs into problems and uh and doesn't get it then the picture that comes out is not what you want um i tried one where i wanted kermit the frog to wear an armor like an old knight's armor shiny um, uh, metal armor and um the prompt uh, kermit with an armor didn't work because it it rendered kermit next to an armor, because Kermis was with an armor. So um, I had to be very specific, putting on wearing an armor and so on. And that's the kind of stuff you run into. So you've, you learn to, let's say, sharpen your, your words a bit. Um, faces are kind of weird sometimes, like realistic, photorealistic faces. Paintings are always great, but uh, making photos with it or photorealistic imagery it's probably the better term because they're not photos but uh doing that is sometimes they just look a bit weird um but yeah i'll i'll talk about face fixers another time because there yes there is something like face fixers so yeah relearning skills um i'm reprogramming my brain uh, and and it, i i thought it would be easier because i do pre-visualize photos in my uh, in front of my inner eye so um, that's the real question. How does my brain work? Or how you can do this as an exercise right now. Close your eyes, imagine something, and then let me, let me know. Do you see what you imagine? As in, have, do you have a visual representation? Or is it more of an abstract thing? And uh, what I found out in researching all this is some people do see things. As in, they pre-visualize, like literally visualize things. And some don't. I'm somewhere in between. I can clearly visualize something, but it's in a very abstract form. Uh, And then when I go to shoot what I imagined, as in to take photos of that, what I pre-visualized, then it will always be different. Because again, the way my photography works is that I usually begin with what I pre visualize but then I let the location inspire me, the surroundings, the participants in the photo, um, the stuff that's there. Stuff what can I use? What can I incorporate? What's the light like and so on? Um, what should I leave out and so on? So yeah. You have to you have to be precise sometimes. Like it's writing a story. Who are the characters? What is the setting? What's the location? What is in the background? Um, what is the light like? What's the composition like? The colors. Um, you can even go as far as uh, specifying a lens and it will, uh, from its training set, it will uh, approximate pictures that have been taken with lenses that way, that, that that focal length. Are there any filters on it? What's the style you want? I mean, is it Andrei Tarkovsky, like a, a movie still from an Andre Tarkovsky movie, or is it Ansel Adams? can specify uh, in a prompt you could specify such and such by Ansel Adams and it would it would uh, it will emulate that style so again it's an iterative iterative approach you generate you make variations you upload you generate and so on so I'm working on re, Shaping my brain, <laughs> and it's fun. It's the fun experience. Um, yeah, I'm. By the way, I'm doing the same with uh, GPT three with their with the OpenAI language model, which um, is uh, 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 which writes for you, or with you, or against you. Again, similar experience. Um, those those new AI based machine learning based systems are are fun. To play with. And um, the question is, how many jobs are they going to eat up? We'll talk about this a bit later. Uh, here's one thing that I find really interesting uh, in terms of um, the technology behind it, because there are. And this is about semantic segmentation. Um, this is going to get a bit nerdy, but uh, bear with me. Um, there are. Systems out there and algorithms that are trying to assign a label to every single pixel in this world. And uh, they, to a certain extent, are already uh, able to distinguish between things. And Semantic segmentation means you look at the picture. You and I, we look at the picture, and it's super easy for us to, to say, okay, this is a sheet of paper, this is a fan, this is... I don't know, a business card. This is a battery, um, and these things are on top of my desk. There's also a black keyboard on top of my desk and uh, a little AirPods case, a white AirPods case. So distinguishing these things, object recognition is already a thing, right? Um, That is being done by your Photos app in your iPhone, and I'm pretty sure Android does a very similar thing because you can go in there into your Photos app on type, and type uh, building, cat, mouse, and it will bring back pictures that have these things in it. So there is object recognition built into the system. And um, I don't know, but there's probably several tens of thousands of things that, um, that your iPhone is able to recognize. In iOS 16 coming up, it will recognize things in a live context. So that is already happening. But um, what else is that seg- semantic segmentation for? Well, it is, um, let's say, here, here are a few applications. VR, AR. Again, I keep saying, I've kept saying for years, um, we are going to be wearing goggles of some sort um, or one sh- some shape or another, not too far in the future. I'd say a maximum a couple of years. There's so much investment going on in this. So we'll we'll see these things. There will be less bulky and so on. But anyway, uh, with AR, which is a digital layer on top of reality, we will need segment, semantic segmentation to, I don't know, to, to see the objects and attach virtual things to them, like a virtual button that's attached to a light source. Um, or uh, attaching a virtual screen to a wall, or, I don't know, label plants in your garden. Um, there's like an abundance of use cases that you could think of. Uh, another one is is uh, autonomy in, in driving, self-driving cars. Um, they need to be able to tell what's a pedestrian, what's a bicycle, what's a streetlight, um, what's a trash can, and what's another car. Um, stuff like pothole detection, so they can drive around or speed bump detection so they can slow down. Um, that's what their systems are have to do. Semantic segmentation. Find out what that thing is. Is that thing in the street uh, a plastic bag that I can safely drive over or is it a big rock that... and so on. So there's, there's that kind of recognition going on. Um, and then of course that segmentation has to work with partial information i mean you have things overlapping each other let's say example you have a couple of dogs they are both the same color and they overlap each other visually but the camera sees a 2d picture so uh, the camera and its brain would ideally be able to still tell that that is two poodles and not just one strangely shaped one that has two heads and seven legs. So um, that is an added difficulty that the systems are getting better at. And of course, where this is relevant for us is your camera will have a huge advantage if it can tell sky from person, from face, from flowers and so on. Because then it can treat them in a different way. And guess what? Your smartphone is already doing some of that. With the help of machine learning, there's neural networking chips in your smartphone that do these kind of things. It's not always perfect. I mean, if you look at portrait mode, which is the fake bokeh thing uh, that sometimes has some weird artifacts, but it's getting there. And of course, what that will enable is uh, selective treatment of different areas of the picture. It's already happening. Make the sky look more like a sky. Fix the skin tone. Make the lawn nice and juicy green um so it's it's part of the game already semantic segmentation is part of the game it'll it'll be more part of the game um wherever cameras are involved and by the way uh the big camera manufacturers do not like that a bit because they are really good at making cameras but they are still learning the software thing um and that takes entirely new skills. The, the whole field of machine learning is just taking off and it requires new skills, new approaches, new hardware in the cameras, like spe- special chips to do these kind of neural tasks and, and new infrastructure for training the neural nets. The the big The big players in that field spend billions and billions of building special hardware for training these neural nets that they can then run on your uh, much smaller devices. It's mind-boggling to see the investments there. And I have said years ago that we're in the middle of a huge transition when it comes to photography. Um, that's the reason I started the Future of Photography podcast, because I could smell it in the air that something was about to come. And I guarantee you, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. So buckle up. Um, yeah, Next up, Cosmopolitan cover. You have, well, maybe you have seen the Cosmopolitan cover. Latest uh, issue of Cosmopolitan is uh, titled The AI Issue. And for me, that, and it and it is uh, has a title, uh, the title is made by Dali too. OpenAI is Dali too. Um, and I think that means the whole thing has arrived in the mainstream. And it's uh, it 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 has stoked the fear of people that that uh, some jobs will go away, like the graphic designer, artist, cover artist, um, or that they will at least dramatically change. And uh, in that context, I look back at uh, a magazine cover that I remember vividly from March. 1984 long time ago uh National Geographic volume 165 number 3 and uh, the reason i'm looking back at that is because back then i uh i was around 15 and i had a subscription to National Geographic which for a german boy was not usual uh we had an american friend who bought that for me for a year um and it exposed me to so many interesting things I'm really thankful in a in a time when a lot of things are formed in one um so I had national geographic and on the cover they had a hologram of the american eagle and that hologram back then i mean that's the same stuff that you will nowadays see on your credit card and that kind of stuff but it is it was on a cover of a magazine which blew me away and i was expecting the every every magazine from then on have holograms and things which hasn't happened holograms are much more let's say utilitarian uh these days but um so that was a bit of a gimmick but uh in the end uh, it I don't know if all the future, well, let's see, let's say in the future, magazine covers are more likely to be done using these uh, systems for assistance. Um, But uh, the background story here is, I think, the real story. And that is uh, this story of, let me open it here, of how this came to be, how this cover was made um and it is it was made by karen x cheng she is an artist and she has a twitter thread that i wholeheartedly agree with so there's a video and you get a get an idea of how this thing was made and she writes um for something like this there was a ton of human involvement and decision making while each attempt takes only 20 seconds to generate. It took hundreds of attempts, hours of hours of prompt generating and refining before getting the perfect image. So if you want something under an artistic um, direction and you want control, then the only way at this point to do it is to iterate, to retry, to change the prompt, to adapt. And that really is a process. I can say this from my own experience. It is a process. It takes a while to get to that point. Um, She continues. I think the natural reaction is to fear that AI will replace human artists. Certainly that thought crossed my mind. But the more I use Dali 2, the less I see this as a replacement for humans and the more I see it as a tool for humans to use an instrument to play and like any mu- musical instrument you get better with practice i've had a fair amount of practice now i've probably spent 100 and more hours playing with it at this point and knowing what words to use to communicate that's a community effort um yeah i'm 1 h- 1000% with karen here because um it is like a a new skill you have to learn. It's like learning an instrument. It really is, and it will shift your your. It will you will have to shift your skill level to keep up with that, or you'll um, you'll be left behind. And that's been the case for many new technologies and many new things. Um, just let's all look back to when digital photography came along. That required a shift in skills to use that new tool in a good way and to get out what you want. And uh, shooting film was a very very different kind of situation, even though in general it was very similar. So here we have another shift that's coming up. Um, real photography is not going to go away. There will still be a lot of stuff, like document documentary stuff. Hey, of course, you document things. So um, that's where photography is interesting. Um, it will still be a lot more, let's say, quick and easy to, to get exactly what you want if you have a camera and a set and so on. But there will be a lot of photography out there that can be replaced with a prompt and, uh, I don't know, three tries and picking the right one and refining it a bit and giving it a minute in Photoshop to clean up a few rough edges. And then, yeah. That that will happen. That will happen for uh, absolutely sure. We are just seeing the beginning. The development will continue, and the stuff will become uh, better. And last but not least, uh, here, here's uh, here's the little thing about workshops because in photo tours, um, because the last two years have not been very nice in that respect. I've done two photo workshops in the last two years. Two. And those, I mean, admittedly, those were the, the the big ones. The Abbey Photo Workshop we do in southern Germany um, this year with thirty people in total. So that was um, that was quite an event. Uh, but yeah, not a single photo tour for the obvious reasons. And that was a bit frustrating. So uh, the other day I talked with Henry. He and I do the curiously polar podcast with Mario. Uh, Henry is an ex- exibi- ex- exhibition expedition leader in the Antarctic and in the Arctic. Um, that's where I met him. He's German, but he now lives in Romania, in Eastern Europe. And the other day we talked, uh, and, and I mentioned how nice it would be to do a photo tour of Romania. Romania, by the way, that is Transylvania. The central part of Romania is, uh, is Transylvania with all the dracula lore and stuff um and that's that's just a very beautiful part of the world with lots of castles and fortified churches and amazing landscapes and and a very old and traditional culture i mean some people in the villages there still use horses as work animals so uh, we brainstormed the idea of a a transylvania photo tour and it, <laughs> it kind of blew up into something a tiny little bit bigger so yeah bear with me the okay uh, one aspect of this of a, a tour like that would be uh, for me because uh, i find it's very important is to be to keep the environmental impact as low as possible now i happen to drive an ev i've done so for uh, over a year and it happens to be one that is pretty capable of road trips so My idea was that I would drive down there, that's a two-day drive, so nothing to sneeze at but I would drive down to Transylvania and uh, make that photo tour like a fairly compact group size, let's say two to three people so we'd all fit in that one car and as a small group we'd be really flexible and we'd be a pretty tight-knit group, Uh, a smaller group would also help keep the infection risk low because that risk goes up exponentially with group size. So, so then, um, and then this is where it kind of blew up. Um, then I thought to myself, hey, if you drive down there from Germany, maybe you could offer some of the participants to fly into Germany, and you could all drive down there together. And that would be fun. Mm. And then I opened up the map and a look uh, had a look at what's on the map on that way. And that's when the light went on. <laughs> one of those, one of those face palm moments, because this shouldn't just be a Transylvania tour. This should actually be an Eastern Europe photo road trip, because that's that's that's. Even here. Here's what's on the way. Okay, let's let's go through that um, in our mental map. You can open a map and see. Um, I suggest we start this in Berlin. Remember Berlin, lots of history, a very good starting point, spend a the day there. Uh, and then drive down to Dresden, which is an amazing historic city in eastern Germany. And then that would be overnight, of course. So we'd be in, uh, in, a, in, in a hotel or whatever accommodation is uh, works. Uh, next stop then would be Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. Again, so much history. And next up would be Vienna in Austria. Again, it's, history I can only say history culture I love Vienna with its coffee houses and its famous backyards and it's, it's just the way it feels um, I take any excuse to spend some time there um, I would probably suggest to make Vienna like a two day stop because again there's so much to see and to photograph uh, and then continue on to Bratislava in Slovakia and then Budapest in Hungary and yeah uh, and then it's it's a couple more hops to to Transylvania from there. There's uh, like really cool stuff on the way. There's a national park on the way and uh, and and some more castles and stuff. Um, so yeah, we'd then be in Transylvania, which is okay. Let me bring up Google here. Um, which is known for, I'm quoting Google now, medieval towns, mountainous borders, and castles like Bran Castle, a gothic fortress associated with the legend of Dracula. The, which, by the way, is quite touristy, but it's, it's, a, it's beautiful to look at. And uh, I think we should probably go there. The city, okay, continuing with Google, the city of Brazov. Um, I'm not sure Brajov. I'm not sure how to pronounce these things. Um, features Saxon walls and bastions as well as expansive council square ringed by colorful baroque buildings, the towering Gothic black church and cafes. yeah, forty five churches. that's one of the things that Transylvania is known for, and there's tons of them. Um, and this uh, this architecture goes eight hundred and more years back. so this is this is it is mind-blowing. So yeah, that that's pretty much there's pretty much a buffet of some of the best that Eastern Europe has to offer, I mean, culturally, historically, and of course photographically. Uh, so yeah, this idea <laughs> blew up a bit into um, I'd say it's probably like a 10 day road trip fo- road trip, photo workshop tour thing. Again, I don't really know how to call this, but the more i the more I think about this, the more excited I get. And for photography, I mean, we'd of course spend time like just structuring the days, again, preliminary uh, planning here, but we would of course spend time shooting in the mornings and then during midday, we'd do some driving, arrive at our next stop in the afternoon, uh, go out to do some photography in the afternoon to evening, then check in at our accommodation, shoot some more next morning and then do another midday drive, um, and those drives are all in the two to three hour range. So things are fairly close together over here. And uh, then, of course, in Transylvania, Henry would be our guide for a couple of days. He lives there. He knows the <laughs> secret tips and he's he's a, he's a guy by trade. And uh, then after exploring Transylvania for two days, you would fly back home from Romania. So that's the 10-day Eastern Europe photo road trip. Uh, Berlin, Dresden, Prague, Vienna, Bratislava, Budapest, Transylvania. Um yeah that it just feels right. Um and by the way if that wasn't enough I will of course have to get back somehow so I'll drive back the same way uh, in reverse order and I'm planning to open that up too. So if anyone is interested in the in the other direction Transylvania, Budapest, Bratislava, Vienna, Prague, Dresden with a with a grand finale in Berlin um that would be possible too. So Again, two to three people per direction. Um, let me know what you think. How, how does that sound? Is that something that a few of you might be interested in? And again, that's just a rough outline. needs a bit more planning. Um, might even I might even do that trip on my own first to do some more scouting. I'm, I could vlog from that maybe a bit. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. Go to tfttf.com slash hi. And, uh, yeah, tell me what you think. Yep, that was it for this episode. Thank you so much for being tuned in. My name is Chris Marquardt. If you want to find out more about me and uh, this show, go to tipsfronthetopfloor.com, tfttf.com is the shortcut um, and uh, let me know what you think I remember that I told you best way to contact me is on twitter at chris marquardt chris m-a-r-q-u-a-r-d-t and of course this show tips from the top Four has a twitter account that's tfttfphoto tfttfphoto And I'm still not sure if all the podcast recorders, all all the podcast players have woken up and found the re-emerging tips on the top floor. Um, If not, well, tell your friends, let everyone know that TFTT is back. Also still really interested in what your thoughts are on the slightly different mix of topics on this show um is it cool is it not you can send info there are multiple ways to do that and the best way to do it is go to tfttf.com slash high tfttf.com slash high and that gives you links to how to write feedback how to record feedback how to send in feedback so tfttf.com slash high By the way, two pieces of feedback that uh, I've received. One from Nick Carter. He writes, "I was delighted to see your latest T.F.T.T.F. podcast pop into my podcatcher today. I've been listening since July 2005, so it's very nearly there at the beginning. I'm excited to hear your plans for the future, and hope you find the time to continue with T.F.T.T.F. Just think, you used to do three shows a week. I've also listened to T.F.O.P. T.F.O.P. The Future Photography since it started, so I haven't forgotten you." And Don Flory wrote, Chris, good to have you back on TFTF, longtime listener from Virginia. I hope you will find benefit in continuing the show. I know I sure do. Thank you, Don. Thank you very much for writing. Everyone, if you wanna send in some feedback again, go to tfttf.com slash hi. That's tftf.com slash hi. And leave a note, leave a voicemail. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And that was it. Thanks for being around. This was episode 909. Until then, happy shooting.